Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Uh, oh my gosh. Uh, first of all, <laughs> that intro is, I, I promise if you're in your car, if you're at home, do that intro. It's the most, like, that is the most fun part of this. Starting that way is awesome. I love it. Like, for me, I, I don't know how it sounds. I just know doing it is really, really fun. Like, it's, oh, it gets me pumped up. And, uh, man, I feel so good today. Oh my gosh. Um, I might be alone in this. I've, I've noticed that I have a better day. I have more energy. If I sleep a little less, like five hours is perfect for me. I don't know if I'm crazy. I don't know if there's science to back that up at all. If you are a scientist and no, please tell me. Um, but eight hours is too much. I just, I get out of rhythm and I, I feel tired and groggy all day. Five hours is perfect. I'm like on edge and really excited. Uh, man, it's going to be great. I just finished my last final. Um, I'm getting ready to move out of this room. This is the last podcast you'll see in this room until about Thanksgiving later this year. Um, I, I, we're going to move into a different setup next week. It'll be awesome in a, a, like a really cool room. The room we recorded in during spring break earlier in the year. Um, I just want to say real quick, thank you so very much for all of your patience. I know that uh, it's been a really busy last month. I, I just am grateful for the constant support. I'm really, really thankful. Um, you know, as you know, I, I play quarterback in college. We just had spring football. Uh, and then you know, so we, I took about a month off and we had finals. Um, and I just, you know, at the end of the show, you know, later in the day, I want to talk about football, my, my personal football journey. Um, but I just want to say that, you know, this episode took a long time. I felt really out of rhythm uh, as I tried to write it. And I just realized, you know, I thought after, you know, taking a month off, I could just jump right back in and pick up where I left off. And um, I, I've learned that's not really true. You know, I, you get out of rhythm and out of a habit and uh, writing every day constantly. And it's it just not. Um, so I, my point is this. I'm, I'm sorry this took so long. I really wanted to get this out earlier. I'm excited. It's going to be a massive summer. Uh, and next time I do a transition like this from a long break and back into doing the show, I think it'll go much smoother because I've been there before and I know what to do. And when you go through a situation, you go, oh, I know how to handle, how to handle that better next time. I want to start with this. Uh, you, may, you may not know. Um, the Denver Broncos have two quarterbacks. This offseason, they traded for NFL veteran uh, a former Super Bowl MVP quarterback, Joe Flacco. They traded for him. They also drafted a quarterback in the second round of the NFL draft, Drew Locke, the quarterback out of Missouri. Now, for context, Joe Flacco is 34 years old. Um, he's entering his 12th season in the NFL. He's been around a long time. Now, Drew Locke, he's 22. He's a rookie. And uh, recently, Joe Flacco was quoted saying that it's not my job to mentor Drew Locke. He said, my job, he goes on, he says, my job is to go win football games. And uh, the media freaked out. People got after him. He's selfish. He's awful. All kinds of very negative words were used about this quote and used about Joe Flacco. And uh, he, he continued, he said something else. He said, you know, I, I admit, by the way, this, uh, this is me speaking. I admit this is a, like a bad look for Joe Flacco. It's not... The soundbite people chose to take out of context, <laughs> frankly, uh, made him look really bad. I get it. I understand uh, why if you look at just one piece of what he said, it looks really bad. But what, this is what the, I think the major problem in the media is right now. People take a soundbite and run with it for days rather than digging deeper and saying, 
what's the meaning behind this? What's he really saying? What's the attitude? And, and what's the full quote? You know, he goes on to say something else. He says, you know, look, I have so many things to worry about. I'm trying to go out and play the best football of my life. It makes sense to me, right? He's, you got to understand, Joe Flacco just moved to a new city, got a new offense to learn, a new franchise to be a part of. And I understand the guy's like, look, I can't, my job is not to coach a young guy. My job is to get myself worried so I can, we can win games. And, and Drew Locke responded to this. You know, the young quarterback who was referred to by Joe Flacco says, Drew Locke said this. Drew Locke said, I feel like if he'd said the opposite thing, he would have been criticized for not putting winning football games as, as his number one priority. I love that. You know, he's really pointing out the double standard of the media. People, if you want to criticize Joe Flacco, pick a side and say whatever the hell you want. That's what people do. And that's, frankly, you take a soundbite and you, you be critical of it either way. It doesn't matter. And so I really think that this story was massively overblown. I think that, you know, the way people criticized Joe Flacco um, was a bit, a bit ridiculous and they're taking a small quote and going a long way with it. You know, if you look at some of the film from OTAs and some of the things they've said, it seems like Joe Flacco and Drew Locke get along quite well. It seems like they're having a, a solid relationship, working relationship in the, in the program. And there's even video of Joe Flacco appearing to help Drew Locke with footwork at practice. Like that's, it's not like they're not working well together. And I will also admit, again, it's, it is not Joe Flacco's job to coach Drew Locke, to coach the young guy. It's actually Drew Locke's job to ask questions and figure out how to extract knowledge out of the veteran quarterback, Joe Flacco. And again, I want to repeat it. You got to understand this. Joe Flacco's on a new team. He's got a lot on his plate. He's learning how. He's learning a new system. He's figuring things out. I just think, you know, he's trying to get ready for week one. I think all the criticism of Joe Flacco is very, very silly. However, and you knew this was coming, I would think, um, I do want to offer another perspective on this topic. Uh, Kurt Warner is a former NFL quarterback. He won a Super Bowl with the Rams. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback. He at one point was the older mentor to Eli Manning, a young Eli Manning with the New York Giants. Um, he now, by the way, does work at the NFL Network. He's a fantastic analyst. Kurt Warner said this on Twitter. He, said, he tweeted this. He said, I don't understand all the quarterbacks saying that their job isn't to be a mentor to young quarterbacks coming into the organization. He continues, he says, in what part of life, family, business, sports, etc., do you enter where you say, I'm not here to do everything I am capable of to make us better, including helping the next generation? That is what the, the message Kurt Warner sent out. Uh, and, and I want to follow up to, I heard a coach once say this to me, he said, it's your right to compete. It's your right to fight for your job. However, I, I love this. It's your legacy to train the next generation. Really cool. Re really, really insightful stuff from a coach. Now, with that perspective in mind, though, I do not think that Joe Flacco had bad intentions. I, I again, I, I think, yeah, you should do, you want to help do everything you can to help your organization win games. But I, I don't think Joe Flacco had bad intentions when he said, I'm not here to help Drew Locke. I just think he sent a weak message. He could have sent out a better message to everybody else. It could have been better. Because, you know, I, I think that the way you treat people matters. Every little thing you do, the way you treat a waiter, a barista at a coffee shop, your coach, a professor, the guy, the gas station attendant pumping your gas if you're in one of those states, 
it's like a resume. Every little thing you do is like a, a resume you're building. And, and I really truly believe people skills matter. And the messages you send out to other people are really, really important. It's a reflection of who you are as a person. You, you got to understand, I, I play quarterback in college. Uh, this fall, I, it's a weird situation. I will be a 22-year-old sophomore. I have three years left of football. It's a very unique situation. Um, I'm old. This is my fourth college. I've been in school a long time, though, by the way. Um, but I have three years of eligibility for football. I'm going to use them all. And, uh, you know, I took four years off. It's weird. But at, at my college right now, we have an open quarterback competition. I'm in the mix. I'm trying to win the job. I'm trying to become the starting quarterback. But in my opinion, in, in a competition, there's a right way to do things. I think doing it the right way matters. Doing it a way you can look back on later and be proud of. It's very important. I, I try very hard to be an unselfish competitor. Yes, I want to win the starting job. Yes, I want to be the man. But I can still do it in a manner and be kind to the people around me as I fight for that job. Being kind, doing it the right way. There's a stronger message that Joe Flacco could have sent out. He could have put something better out to the world. And he would have gained, I think, a lot of respect if he'd done that. Again, I don't think Joe Flacco had bad intentions here. Uh, but an okay message could have been a really great statement to his team you know, if he'd said something along the lines of this. Here, here's my situation and my take on the situation. When a young freshman quarterback comes to my college, um, I want to help them. I will never forget when I was a young freshman, I felt completely overwhelmed. I, had no, I, I couldn't find my classes. I was lost. Everything was harder. Things were faster. Classes were more difficult. I felt totally overwhelmed when I was a freshman. And, and I wish I'd had someone who was kind to me to really you know, help me get my bearings and kind of guide the way and give me a good example. And even if a freshman comes to my college and is super, super talented, you can still be nice to the guy. You can still be helpful as a human. I'm going to work my butt off. I'm going to be prepared. And if, if he's good enough to beat me out, dang, we're going to win a lot of games, right? I'm going to be really prepared. If he beats me, he's got to be really good. But man, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I look at this situation and I think that that's the message Joe Flacco should have sent out. If he needs help buying a house, I'm there for him. If he has questions, I'm happy to help him. He could have said, I remember when I was a rookie quarterback. I remember how chaotic it was. I am happy to help him if he asks for it. That's the message he should have put out. Because he had an opportunity to really show how secure he was in his job. Because, by the way, you may not know, there is no chance Drew Locke is going to be the week one starter of the Denver Broncos. Drew Locke is not a threat immediately to Joe Flacco's job in that franchise. Joe Flacco is the cemented starter. I watched the film. He's not, Drew Locke's not ready. He should not be threatened by this young quarterback. And I really think he had a chance to send a great message, securing himself, saying, I'm happy to help the guy. And he didn't. He sent out a weak message instead. But what I'm seeing the media crush Joe Flacco, at least I did previously. That was overblown. We just need to acknowledge Joe Flacco sent out a weaker message than he could have. He could have done much better. He didn't. I think that's a reflection of who he is a little bit, but I wouldn't be too hard on the guy. And this entire story, the way the media covered the Joe Flacco quote about Drew Locke was totally ridiculous. People had hot takes and rushed to judgment. And it's like, look deeper into the situation. I do not believe Drew Locke and Joe Flacco have a bad relationship. I think they get along quite well. And I think this story is very much overblown. You just got to recognize Joe Flacco said this. 
he could have sent a, another message and a better message, which would have, I think, strengthened his place in the Denver Broncos locker room. <clears throat> okay, uh, we got a big show today. We're going to talk about the XFL. Uh, we're going to talk about NFL schedules. Going to do a ton of NBA playoff talk. I think the most interesting thing for me in the NBA playoffs are the teams that did not make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. The 76ers and the Celtics. If you told me before the season that neither one of them would be in the Eastern Conference Finals, I I would have been very, very surprised. In fact, I was very surprised. I'm going to talk about what happened. um, And the biggest, the meatiest, most exciting thing to me in this podcast, we're going to do a breakdown of Johnny Manziel. um, A guy who... He's a household name. Everybody knows Johnny Manziel. I'm really, really excited for that. Uh, We'll do that later down the road. Remember, help me by telling your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. Subscribe to the channel. Share with your friends. You know the spiel. If you listen to Strong Opinion Sports, you know what I say every episode. Just help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Um, I wanted to say two things very briefly. Um, Number one, I want to give a massive thank you to everyone who supports the show on Patreon. It's an incredible thing. Um, people, you know, people are paying my bills, the people on Patreon and sending me money on PayPal. That is how I'm surviving right now. That's how I'm getting home with gas money. That's how I had allergies the other day. I bought allergy medication and was like, I I almost broke down in tears. I'm I'm not kidding. By the way, I really was like, oh my gosh, like I can, I can buy this because of the money people have sent me and the way they supported me. Uh, and I just want to be very, very clear. I'm so thankful, right? My summer job this summer is to make podcasts. I'm finally done with school. I can go home. I'll be in my basement. And my job, the thing I'm getting paid to do and the thing I can focus all my attention on is making this podcast. And that's so awesome. And I think, honestly, long-term for the the benefit of Strong Opinion Sports, this summer is going to be huge. We're going to grow a lot, I hope. And being able to focus all my attention on it is a massive deal. To not have to go to the car wash and not have to, to you know scrub literally scrub cars. That was my job last summer. To not have to do that is something I am I'm so thankful for, and I'm really grateful. It's going to be good for the show. It's good for my life, and I'm just so thankful for all the people who support me on Patreon and send me money on PayPal. Guys, I am I'm so eternally grateful. Um, I also want to say, you know, I've been playing college football. I want to address that. I had spring football. Um, it was amazing. It went really, really well. Um, I, I put myself in a position to compete for the starting quarterback job. Uh, nobody's going to win the job in the spring. The, the competition is in the fall, in August. Um, and what I did, I think, with the way I played, I think I played pretty well. I put myself in position that if I take care of business and, and win the, I, I have a chance to win the competition. I might not, uh, and that's okay, but I got to do a, a lot of work this summer to improve and get better. And if I do that, I might be able to play. Um, but I, oh, I, I love my teammates, man. I love my coaches. Uh, you know how I know we're doing things the right way is that everybody's going home for, for summer. And I'm legitimately sad. I haven't seen my teammates as much in the last week because of finals and school and everything. And I miss my teammates. I miss seeing my guys every single day. And that's how I know the culture at our school is really good. I'm doing the right thing. I love the people I'm around and working with. Um, and, and I really, I, this is very important to drive home. If I never play a down of football at Pacific Lutheran University, I might never be the starting quarterback. Maybe I am like, I, I, I'm put down to third string. I never play. It's all worth it. This is entirely worth it. I am learning so much about life. I'm learning about nuances of football and coaching points. But there are so many lessons in strong opinion sports. When I'm 50 years old, the next you know, 40 years of strong opinion sports are going to be so much better because of these lessons I'm learning in college. And I'm just so 
uh, I'm excited, man. Um, I remember once I quit football for three years. I was in college, two and a half years, uh, three years total, about a year and a half of college. Another, I took more time off, but for three years, I quit three and a half, almost four years. I, I didn't play football. I quit football. And I, I just, um, there are kids who can play college football and play college sports that choose not to. Uh, and, and my message is I, I heavily, heavily encourage if you have an opportunity to play sports, do it and play as long as you can. Because when you're older, you're 22, you might not be able to chance to go back. You might regret it. If you can play, please, if you're listening and have an opportunity to play sports in college, go for it. Try it. Make it happen. Because when you're 50, you might regret it. Uh, and, and for me, the teammates make the experience. I'm around great people, great leaders. My coaches are fantastic. I am rambling now far too long about college, but the point is this. I, I just love my school. I'm so grateful. Um, you know, all my, I'm 22. All my friends are graduating college. I'm going to my best friend's graduation in a couple weeks. And, um, you know, I watched my friends go through college and have, like, the time of their lives. They just loved it, and I never understood. I always hated school my entire life until this semester. Um, and and I'm, I'm so grateful for my school. I'm grateful for my football team. And uh, most of all, I'm grateful for all the support you guys give. Again, I couldn't pay my bills without Patreon and PayPal. And uh, I just am so, so thankful for where we're at. Um, okay, I'm sorry. Like, I probably talked way too much about myself. Um, but I wanted to update people. I, I've been gone a while, right? I, I miss you guys. I miss doing the show. I miss, you know, oh my, like that's so fun. And so um, just thank you guys so much. Let's now shift gears to um, the NFL. Drink some water real quick. I can feel my throat, you know, like very slowly. Uh, my show's weird. Most people do like 20 minutes, take a break, clear their throat, go to the bathroom. I just talk and I talk and I talk and I talk and I talk. And about, about the 45 minute mark, I'll take a break. But that's, that's what I do. I like it. Um, <clears throat> I want to be very, very clear about this. I believe that the New England Patriots are going back to the Super Bowl. In fact, they're probably going to win again, too. Uh, I know they just won a Super Bowl, but if you look back at the Super Bowl they just played, they won 13-3. It was a slower defensive battle with the Rams, uh, and the Patriots struggled on offense. They really they lacked the ability to win matchups on the outside against the Rams' corners. Uh, the Patriots' wide receivers were not very good, um, and the Rams sat in man coverage. They had guys like Aqib Tlaib and Marcus Peters, locking down the Patriots outside wide receivers. Guys like Chris Hogan could not win one-on-one matchups. And that is why the Patriots had such a, a hard time putting points on the board in the Super Bowl against the Rams. I think it's really important. In spite of that limitation, in spite of the fact the Patriots had bad wide receivers, they still did win the Super Bowl. It's pretty like amazing to me. Um, and this is my next point is that in the draft, they added a wide receiver. So they won a Super Bowl without wide receivers. Now they went out and drafted, I think, the best wide receiver in the draft last year. They drafted Nikhil Harry in the 2019 NFL draft, 32nd overall in the first round. Uh, it, this is terrifying. If you are a fan of the NFL, just everybody in the NFL should be very concerned. Uh, Nikhil Harry is a 6'2 wide receiver. Um, and the big news and the good news if you're a Patriots fan is he can win one-on-one matchups. Uh, I know some people who've been around him, by the way. He's a great guy. He's a, a guy who loves his craft. He loves being in the weight room. He puts his head down and works. And he sounds very much like a Patriots guy. So if you look around the league and go, man, the Patriots just won a Super Bowl without a good receiving core. Now they added a premier 
number one wide receiver. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's and I think he's gonna play for a long time with Tom Brady. It's really, really concerning. And that's not the only reason why I think the Patriots can win the Super Bowl. See, yes, uh, Tom Brady has a new offensive weapon. Uh, we're going to talk about the roster improvements a little bit more. You know, Bill Belichick also got a, a new weapon, a new, a new defensive weapon. So again, the Rams offense last year was prolific. They broke records. They were incredible. Put up a ton of points. In the Super Bowl, that prolific Rams offense was shut down. They only scored three points. Now, in the offseason, a good Patriots defense who played really well against the Rams got even better. They traded for defensive end Michael Bennett. Uh, a guy's older. He's out of his prime. Michael Bennett's 33 years old, but he's a three-time Pro Bowler. He's had 63 sacks in his career, 10-year career. And this is what's really important. Bill Belichick, the Patriots head coach, uh, pseudo, you know, de facto defensive coordinator, specializes in defensive linemen. It's really, really important you know this. He coached Lawrence Taylor for years of the Giants. If anybody can get the most out of a guy like Michael Bennett, it's Bill Belichick. I think this is a, an under-the-radar thing that no one's really paid a lot of attention to. And this Michael Bennett move is going to really, really help the Patriots. They also acquired Jamie Collins, um, a, a linebacker. He was released by the Browns. And here's my point. You look around the AFC. The Chiefs lost key players. The Chiefs are not as good as they were last year. And the Steelers, another contender, they lost key players. And the Ravens have a second-year quarterback, Lamar Jackson. He's all right. He made the playoffs. Eh. The Browns. I, I like the Browns. I like their roster. They, they improved. But the Browns have an emotional roster with a lot of, uh, I think they're, they're going to win games. I don't think, they, they can't beat the Patriots. They have a rookie head coach, an emotional roster. There's no way the Browns can beat the Patriots. The Colts have been unable to beat the Patriots in recent years with Andrew Luck. My point is all the top teams in the AFC got worse. Their rosters got worse. And the middle-of-the-road teams, teams like the Browns, got better. And so more than ever, the middle-of-the-road is, is really con converged in the AFC. And the Patriots stand alone at the top as a team that just won the Super Bowl and then made their roster even better. You realize they won a Super Bowl and then upgraded. They brought in Nikhil Harry, a wide receiver. They brought in Michael Bennett. They brought in Jamie Collins. They're a better roster today than they were in... February when they won the Super Bowl. That's horrifying. Horrifying. And then I look at the Patriots' schedule. And oh, it's a joke. It's a, it's a joke. First of all, the Patriots play six games in their conference, the AFC East. Two games against the Jets, two games against the Bills, two games against the Dolphins. And I acknowledge, right, the AFC East is improving tremendously. But nobody yet is ready to knock off the Patriots. Nobody in that division is ready yet to beat the Patriots and win the division over them. There are three teams. They all have second-year quarterbacks. Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold. And I'll predict this. I think the Jets are going to beat the Patriots once. Uh, the Jets head coach Adam Gase has a weird historic way of finding ways to beat the Patriots. That's what's going to happen. But I think the Patriots are going to finish their division 5-1 and be 5-1 and one in the AFC East. So they start really good. They're going to win a lot of games because they're easy division. Then you look around their schedule. They play, wow, they play the Chiefs at home. They play the Steelers at home. They play the Browns at home. They play the Cowboys at home. They beat the Steelers and the Chiefs last year. They play them again at home this year. Both of these teams are worse. And the Patriots upgraded. You look at the Browns. The Browns are interesting. Their roster's better, but... 
Browns have a rookie head coach, an emotional roster. There's no way. Again, I don't think the Browns could beat the Patriots. Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. That'll be an interesting game in Foxborough, Massachusetts. I think that the Cowboys defense could cause problems for the Patriots. But do you really think Dak Prescott and Jason Garrett are going to beat Bill Belichick and Tom Brady? It's not going to happen. The Patriots are going to win a bunch of games at home. And you look around their schedule, they have two, two tough games on their entire 16-game schedule. They play at the Eagles, and they play at the Texans. Oh, but by the way, they play, before they play at the Eagles, they have a bye week. They'll probably win that game because they're really great off a bye week. Now, I I acknowledge, at the Texans, Deshaun Watson is going to be a tough game. And they're going to lose one of their games. The Chiefs or the Steelers, one of those teams are going to lose. But they also have three notable, really, really easy games if you look at the Patriots' schedule. They play at the Redskins, who will have a rookie quarterback or Case Keenum at quarterback. Either way, I'm pretty confident in the Patriots' ability there. They're going to play at the Ravens, who uh, the Patriots, in my opinion, are going to really shut down a limited quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Uh, They play the Giants in Foxborough, which is a joke. The Patriots are going to skewer the New York Giants. Um, And I, I just look at the Patriots' schedule. It's laughable, right? How can, when you win a Super Bowl, I think you're supposed to have a harder schedule next year. And it just didn't happen. The, the way the cards worked out, the way things were designed, man, uh, the Patriots have a, a really, really easy road and, and really a really easy path to the playoffs and I think eventually to the Super Bowl. They're going to be the number one or two seed. They're going to have home field advantage in the playoffs. Uh, they play in an easy division. They play favorable home games. The AFC as a whole isn't as good. And the Patriots roster got better. Again, I repeat, the Patriots... I think they're going to go 13-3. and three. They're going to win the Super Bowl again. At least they're going to go back to the Super Bowl, and they may, in fact, win the Super Bowl again. If you hate the Patriots, I have bad news. I'm really sorry, but their roster got better, and their schedule is, is a joke, man. I, I really think the Patriots are going to go back to the Super Bowl, and um, for some of you, that's good news, and for some of you, sorry, that's, that's really bad news. Okay, another thing. While I was gone for a month, um... <clears throat> the XFL schedule just came out. And uh, it's unreal, man. I, I can't, I, I, oh my gosh. The, the XFL is going to work. That's what I saw. When I saw the announcement of the partners that the XFL had for their television partners, I just went, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. It's going to work. These are the four networks that the XFL is partnering with for their inaugural season. The stark contrast between the AAF and the XFL already is like, oh, wow. The XFL is pulling punches. It's going to work. The XFL is partnered with ABC, Fox Sports, ESPN, and Fox. Oh, my gosh. These are big networks. Networks I believe in the XFL. And this is a learning point for me. You look at last year when the Alliance of American Football, which was a, a new developmental league, which disbanded really quickly and failed. Um, when it was announced last year, we watched games on YouTube, and games were streamed on Bleacher Report Live. They were hard to watch, and they were not on major networks. And this is where you can learn from that. You know, the XFL is different. It's very clear. People with money believe in the XFL. Like, oh, oh, wow. Every week, there are going to be games on major networks, ABC. Fox, Fox Sports, ESPN, that's a big deal. It's a huge deal. Accessibility matters. And people like me are going to have a much easier time finding ways to watch XFL games, and they're going to be much more mainstream than the Alliance was last year. There are two weird weeks in March. I will acknowledge 
uh, Sunday, March 1st and Sunday, March 15th. These are the, the, oh no, the weird weeks. Like, so weird week for the Alliance of American Football was like, you got to watch the game on YouTube. It's hard to find. It's not on a network anywhere. These are the, the weird, troublesome weeks for the XFL. The games are on, oh no, ESPN2. A, a still very accessible network that most people have. Uh, now, on Saturday, March 14th, there is a game on Fox Sports 2. I, I frankly never heard of that. I don't think I have Fox Sports 2. But that's it. For the crazy, weird weeks, that's not that bad. And every other week, every other game is on either ABC, ESPN, Fox, or Fox Sports 1. This is a massive, massive deal. Most Saturdays, the XFL is going to be on the main local Fox channel. That's a huge deal. And so I, I cannot wait to watch the XFL. I'm very excited. Uh, it's easily accessible. I have friends playing in the league. Um, and unlike the Alliance, people that are playing in the XFL really believe in the financial endeavor behind the league. Uh, they believe in the stability of it. Uh, I, I believe the XFL is going to work. A lot of other people I know that have more insight than I do have told me they think it's going to work. Um, and it's financially backed by Vince McMahon, who is the WWE CEO. You, you know this probably. He's got a ton of money. Um, another really key factor in this is the XFL commissioner is Oliver Luck. That's, yes, the same Luck as in he's the dad of the Colts quarterback, Andrew Luck. Uh, this is a guy who is the former NFL Europe commissioner. Uh, he's the former West Virginia athletic director. He's worked for years uh, in the world of football as an executive. He played quarterback professionally. This guy understands professional football. Oliver Luck does. Understands professional football from every angle, every perspective you can have as a player, an executive, a coach, everything. He understands professional football. Uh, I really, I look at interviews and I, I watch Oliver Luck, the way he talks about the league. The XFL is in really, really good hands. I believe in it. I think it's going to be fantastic. And uh, I am so tremendously excited to watch the XFL next spring. <clears throat> More water. You know, um, this is the meaty one. This is the one I'm really, really excited for. Um, I don't know. I, 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 uh, I did a lot of work on this topic. I'm very proud of it. Um, I watch so many football games. Oh, my gosh. Um, and, uh, you know, it's sad. I cut a lot of this out. I cut, you know, this, this topic was like 40 minutes. And I was like, I can't, I can't do a 40-minute film breakdown. So I had to cut a lot of this down. It's still pretty long. It's still a massive, uh, a massive expose and a massive film breakdown of a guy. Um, but it's, it's Johnny Manziel. And um, Johnny Manziel makes me really, really sad. He does. Um, and, and it's more than just the off-the-field issues he's had. Um, you know, I, I loved watching the guy play. I loved watching Johnny Manziel. Uh, one of my close friends, Liam, is a huge fan of Texas a football. And, and it's cool to watch Liam talk about Johnny Manziel because the guy lights up. I mean, it's, it's like he's remembering what it was like when Johnny was there. There's clearly like an emotional response and memories are coming back to him. And, uh, man, I, I get it. I, I really get it. You know, in spite of some of the you know, maybe undesirable traits that Johnny Menzel has. Um, he still has found a way to be incredibly endearing. I, I root for the guy. He's like the little engine that could. I really, really emotionally have invested in Johnny Menzel. I want the guy to succeed. And he really, you know, in college, he kind of became like, like almost a mythical character, a Han Solo type guy. Like, ooh, the legend of Johnny football. It was a big deal. 
And, and I mean, in college, the guy killed it. He was the first freshman ever to win the Heisman Trophy. Look at his stats. In two seasons in college, two seasons, he had 7,820 passing yards, 63 touchdowns, only 22 interceptions, over 2,000 yards, rushing another 30 touchdowns on the ground, running. And by the way, all this happened in the SEC, the best division in college football. I mean, the guy shredded Alabama twice, twice. And he beat them when they were the number one team in the nation. You go, man, Johnny Manziel killed it in college. And then the dude was even a first round pick in the NFL draft. So why did he fail? He was fantastic. Why did Johnny Manziel fail? What happened? And the obvious answer when you say this is, well, Zach, Johnny Manziel had off the field issues. Of course, Johnny Manziel couldn't make it work. Uh, you know, I don't want to list them all, but he had all kinds of issues off the field. And that's what everyone says. They go, you know, oh, well, Johnny was a really good football player who just, he couldn't get his act together off the field. And uh, I looked at the film, and um, the truth is that it's much deeper and, and much darker and, you know, much more sad. The, the, the reason behind why Johnny Manziel did not succeed as a NFL quarterback. So if you're up for it, uh, if, if you're ready, if you're, if you're comfortable with it, I'm going to uh, explain what happened to Johnny Manziel on the field. I want to look at, you know, what's the film say about Johnny Manziel? When you watch Johnny in college, you see that the guy just had a ton of bad habits. The biggest one is this. The dude held on to the ball way too long. He wasn't great in structure. And really, he was at his best when he was running around and extending plays. And the problem is that Johnny knew this. The guy knew what he was good at. He knew he was good at running around, buying time, and throwing the ball downfield. I really believe when he dropped back, he would look around for easy completions. And if he didn't get the look he wanted, then he would just run around until somebody was wide open. He'd look for an easy wide open completion. If it's not there, well, guess what? I'll just run around until someone is wide open. And he was incredible at this. Johnny Manziel, oh my good. I mean, no joke. I think if you were going to start a flag football team, you want 2013 Johnny Manziel. He might be the best flag football player ever to live. But the problem is real football is different from flag football. And what Johnny Manziel wouldn't do and couldn't do was stay in the pocket and beat teams with just his arm. It's sad. It's true. Johnny Manziel was a running quarterback. A running quarterback. Not all quarterbacks running is the same. It's not all equal. So like guys like Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson are quarterbacks who can run. Johnny Manziel is different from them. Johnny Manziel is a running quarterback. It's an important distinction. There is a difference. The difference between a running quarterback and a quarterback who can run. You know, with Russell Wilson or guys like Kyler Murray, they can beat you with their arm. And running is just a nice added bonus. It's like, it's like DLC in a video game. It's extra bonus content. Oh, great. I'm happy to have that. Yay. But in contrast, Johnny Manziel, who is a running quarterback, depended on his ability to run in order for him to succeed. Without his legs, Johnny Manziel would not have succeeded in college. I would not have put it the giant, tremendous, extreme numbers he did. He wouldn't have been a first-round pick without his legs. And this is a really big problem if you're evaluating a quarterback. He's a running quarterback, again, not a quarterback who can run. 
I want to you know, talk about a play from his last game in college. It's Texas A&M versus Duke. It's in the Cotton Bowl. And this is a classic Johnny Manziel play. It's an incredible play. He bounces around in the pocket. He literally leaps over somebody, avoids a tackle, runs around to the left, throws a touchdown to his running back. Unbelievable. Really fun to watch. It's a crazy good highlight. But if you look at the wide angle, you'll realize, if you look at the other film, the wide angle of this play, you'll quickly realize, oh my gosh. He had two wide receivers wide open. He had a stop and go on the left. The stop and go beat the man, he's wide open. Then he had a dig in the middle of the field, wide open. He even looks in the direction of the dig, right over the middle of the field, and sadly, he wasn't looking downfield. He's looking to run. Johnny Manziel made his life way harder because most quarterbacks just throw to the open receivers. Instead, he runs around, makes it more difficult. It worked. It worked, but it shouldn't have worked. And he, he passed up easy completions often to run around instead and make it look... I mean, frankly, I don't think it was planned, but he's like, look, if it's not there easy, I'm just going to run around and make something happen. I know this works. And it did work for him. It was fantastic. And he made it work in college with an average amount of studying, an average amount of preparation. I mean, the reality is he's a guy who couldn't stay in the pocket and consistently make high-level throws. And in college, again, the guy didn't need to. It worked for him. He didn't have a high-level understanding of defenses. Didn't really need to. He made bad decisions. Uh, there's, there's a play on the goal line. A great example of this. There's a play on the goal line where he has man coverage on the outside. The right and the left. He's got to pick a side, right or left. And he chooses the wrong matchup. On the right side, he has six foot five. NFL wide receiver Mike Evans, one-on-one with the corner. And instead, he throws it to the left to the wrong matchup and throws an interception because he's not throwing to his Mike Evans, fantastic NFL receiver. Threw to the wrong receiver, threw a pick. Happened a lot. The guy just wasn't well-prepared. He wasn't well-studied. He wasn't well-versed on defenses. And, you know, I, I call Johnny Menzel a running quarterback. Here's an example of his mentality as a quarterback. In 2012 against Alabama, Texas A&M called a screen pass. And Alabama played it perfectly. They were not fooled at all. They're prepared. Both sides are covered. Nothing's open. And growing up, if you're a quarterback, if a team covers a screen pass really, really well, you are taught, okay, throw the ball in the dirt, live to see another down. I talked about this in my Dwayne Haskins breakdown. Uh, I praise Dwayne Haskins for his ability to have discipline and not throw the ball. You know, just live to see another down. It's hard to give up on a play, but it's important. Johnny doesn't do this. Instead, he tries to run, and as a result, takes a one-yard loss and an unnecessary hit. And the lesson here is the guy would not let a play die. He had a running mentality, and he would fight for, he would never take a sack. He would always fight not to take a sack. And he would rarely throw the ball away. He would always fight to make every single play work, even if nothing was there. He would not let a play die. And as a result, he did two things. It meant he took a lot of unnecessary hits and he threw a lot of really dangerous throws. But we need to focus in on this this fact that he got hit a lot. It's really important. Don't forget it. I mean, the guy took a lot, a lot of hits. Because of his play style, the guy got rocked over and over and over again. He got hit. Just I cannot emphasize this enough. Johnny Menzel in college took a bunch of hits. He also made a ton of really dangerous throws. Uh, In 2013 against Alabama, 
Johnny Manziel made a ridiculous play. It's third and eight. He runs around a bunch. He avoids a sack then throws the ball up in the middle of the field. And his wide receiver makes an incredible catch for a first down. It's a wildly fun highlight. If you're watching SportsCenter, oh, it's brilliant. If you're, if you're the director of SportsCenter, you're so happy. You're a big fan of Johnny Manziel, and you love what he just did because he made your job so much easier. So it's a fun highlight, but the reality is it's also a terrible, terrible play. One of the number one cardinal sins for a quarterback is you should not throw the ball up for grabs later in a play in the middle of the field. You can't just throw the ball up in the middle of the field late in a play. It's a bad idea. Young quarterbacks do this often. If I can give any advice to young quarterbacks, when you go through your progression and you get through the end of your progression, do not just throw the ball up for grabs in the middle of the field. A lot of quarterbacks do this. Find your check down, throw the ball away, be disciplined with the ball. Do not just throw the ball up in the middle of the field. Happens all the time. And Johnny Manziel got incredibly lucky in this instance. Against Alabama on third and eight, oh, it worked. Fantastic. But it didn't always work. And what it did is it set a really bad precedent, right? It's building bad habits that would come back to haunt him later in life. The dude threw a lot of interceptions on dangerous passes. The guy's kind of a riverboat gambler. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But the point is, he was building a really bad habit. Another big problem he had is he relied on running and breaking tackles a lot. That's how he ran. The way he ran in college was, you can't tackle me. I'm a better athlete, and I'm going to break tackles and get away from things. And this was in college, right? He took advantage of poor tackling and the fact that he was playing against average athletes. I mean, look, above average compared to you and me, but in the world of football, a college athlete is not comparable to a professional athlete of any level. Whether it's AF, XFL, CFL, or the NFL, they're all not as good. They're all better than a college football athlete. And Johnny Menzel was not particularly fast. He was just elusive. He was kind of a, a slippery athlete, hard to tackle. And in the NFL against better athletes, he was not going to be able to break those tackles. He had a bunch of success in college that wasn't realistic and didn't translate to the NFL because those tackles he broke in college, he wasn't going to break in the NFL. He wasn't going to get out of those tackles. He wasn't going to be able to run for 40 yards. And it's important to know, like, Johnny Menzel had some good moments. Johnny Menzel was not a horrible, I know I'm pointing out his flaws, but he was not a miserable quarterback. He was really great in the quick game. He had a lot of completions on quick, short passes. Um, And occasionally, he would dial up a fantastic throw. But frankly, this only happened like three, four, maybe literally like five times a season. On a consistent basis, Johnny Menzel was not threading the needle in the tight windows. Now, again, there's a throw against Alabama down the right sideline. It's a dime. It's a perfect throw into a tight window. But those throws were not common most of the time. In fact, an overwhelming majority of the time when the guy had opportunities to make throws into tight windows, he wouldn't deliver. It just didn't happen over and over and over again. Miss, miss, incompletion. He had below average accuracy and and frankly, below average arm strength. I mean, Johnny did not have a high-level amount of NFL arm talent. It's not who he was. And finally, you must acknowledge, Johnny Manziel had a ton of help in college. I mean, his freshman year when he won the Heisman Trophy, 
he had an offensive genius, Cliff Kingsbury, as his offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. That's a huge advantage. Then you look at how he played. And numerous times, his teammates bailed him out with amazing catches. I mean, he threw the ball for grabs all the time. 50-50 throws where either your guy's going to get it or the defense is going to get it. And he depended on his wide receivers making great catches. Usually he was throwing to Mike Evans. Mike Evans was a top 10 pick in the 2014 NFL draft. He was the number seven overall pick. And to this day, Mike Evans is one of the best jump ball wide receivers in the NFL. I mean, in 2013, for context on how good Mike Evans was, 2013 against Alabama, Mike Evans had seven catches for a whopping 279 receiving yards. So I think it's safe to say Johnny Menzel had just a little bit of help in college. So the guy was unreal, super fun to watch, really, really talented. But his game and his style of play did not translate well to the NFL, didn't project well. And as a result, when you watch film in the NFL, you go, oh, yeah, all those mistakes, all those bad habits didn't pan out. And this is why right here, this is why Johnny Manziel makes me so sad. It's heartbreaking. I mean, you look at his endless off the field issues, obviously, like it sucks. The drama off the field for Johnny Manziel is discouraging and sad. But on the field... I believe the guy was tremendously overhyped. He had some really bad habits in college and they were constantly reinforced. They were constantly, you know, his bad habits were encouraged because he had some success with them. And the guy won the Heisman trophy and everybody was telling him he was the best. And, and sadly, I think he bought into it. I mean, if everyone tells you you're Superman, and they keep telling you you're Superman. Eventually, you look around and go, yeah, I'm Superman. Like, I understand. And then he was a first-round pick. Of course, the dude was confirmed. Everything I believe about myself is true. I'm a fantastic quarterback with great skills. And nobody told him, hey, you got a bunch of flaws. You got a lot of things you got to work on. And, you know, your success is really success that comes from bad habits. You're getting lucky, dude. It's not, it's, you're not prepared for the NFL. He was a first-round draft pick, and it should have never, ever happened. He should not have been a first-round quarterback. And what that did was it raised expectations tremendously. Johnny Manziel's story is a sad story of a guy who was constantly overhyped by NFL standards. In the NFL, nothing changed. He had the same playing style, but it never worked the same. I mean, sure, he had some moments, right? Just like in college, Johnny in the NFL was great in the quick game. But he had an average arm. He didn't have Mike Evans. He didn't have great play design like the coaches he had at Texas A&M. And he has an average arm. He struggled with accuracy. He struggled with arm strength. And he threw interceptions because he just didn't have an incredibly high-level arm. He, He couldn't drive the ball downfield like he needed to. He didn't have the accuracy he needed to. Couldn't win games from the pocket like he needed to. Because all those bad habits that were reinforced in college and were confirmed, oh, they, you don't need these things. They work. He got to the NFL and went, oh, yeah, you need that. You need to be able to win games with your arm from the pocket. And against better athletes with better tackling skills, he was never able to run in the NFL with as much success as he ran in college. 
you know, touchdown runs became meager little three-yard runs. And he passed up open receivers and made his life way harder by running around. I don't blame him. This is what had always worked for Johnny Menzel. But he held on to the ball way too long, and as a result, he got pummeled. The dude got killed. Took way too many big hits. Remember when I said that his style of play in college caused him to get hit a ton? Well, the same trend continued in his professional career. And it's why he's been hurt so frequently and a large reason why he's missed so many games throughout that time. He also, like in college, he refused, in the NFL, he refused to let plays die. Made a bunch of risky passes that used to work. The the throws that used to kind of work sometimes ended up being interceptions every single time. And I can't imagine the emotional toll this must have taken on Johnny Manziel. I mean, truly, this makes me sad. No wonder the guy had so many off-the-field issues. I mean, imagine your whole life, everyone tells you you're amazing, and suddenly, overnight, everything you've always done suddenly doesn't work. I, I just imagine the harsh reality hit the guy like a brick wall. And what's even more sad is the guy had flashes of success. There there are two things that make me sad about Johnny Menzel's career with the Cleveland Browns. One, his team was awful. He had bad wide receivers. He had some really inconsistent play design that I didn't agree with all the time. But what's really, truly sad is that he played on a bad team and yet he had some flashes where it worked. Slowly, he did make improvements. He did actually, oh my gosh, wow. He ran a little bit less. He was learning to hang around in the pocket. There's a play where He looks around. He doesn't run. He doesn't escape. He sits, works all the way through his progression, finds an open man. Dude, that's awesome. That's a progression of who he is as a quarterback. That's a a win. There's a play where he slides left. Instead of running away from pressure, he calmly slides to the left, throws an out. It's fantastic. All of this makes me wonder, you know, the flashes he had in the NFL, having success occasionally, it just makes me wonder, what would have happened if... Everyone had had realistic expectations. If he'd been a sixth-round draft pick, or if he hadn't won the Heisman Trophy, would things have been different? I think they might have. You know, this is a a weird story. It's an aside, but I think it matters. I think it's really important. I've met Trent Dilfer a couple times in my life. He's a former Super Bowl-winning quarterback. He's the head coach of the Elite 11 quarterback competition. Um, He once asked me, whether I loved football or I loved what football brought me. Do you love the game or do you love the benefits the game gives you? The fame, the people writing about you, the interviews, this and that. Um, and it's a hard question to ask yourself. You have to go, man, like, do I love the game or do I love what the success is giving me? And I, I truly believe when all the success happened, Johnny Manziel fell more in love with the things that football brought him. But if he'd been a sixth round pick with realistic expectations, he might have been a solid backup. If the guy had been in love with the game and the process rather than the things the game brought him, the parties, the fame, the tickets, the courtside tickets, this and that, Twitter followers, he might have been a solid backup in the NFL. He really might have. But instead, you know, all of his past success hung over him like a weight. I mean, in Canada, in the Alliance of American Football, all the attention, everyone was always chanting his name and chanting for him to play when honestly, like, 
He was just lucky to be on the roster. He, was he should have been happy to be there. And the expectations were dialed to 11 because of his past success. And, man, it sucks. It, it just is like, man, expectations were so unrealistic for Johnny Manziel. He got nailed in the CFL. He ran around a bunch, got hit really hard, got injured. Or in the AF, I watched his game, and, you know, he, he just didn't, he had an average arm. He wasn't great. He's not an NFL quarterback. And he never was. He, he never showed signs of being a great NFL quarterback, but the media overhyped him. He got drafted way before he should have been in the NFL draft. And I just look around, and at the end of the day, you know, Johnny Manziel is just a really sad story of a guy who was constantly overhyped. Makes me sad. It really oh, it breaks my heart, man. It's a guy that if, real, if expectations had been realistic about Johnny Manziel, he might have succeeded. He might have had a great career and been fantastic as a backup. But we run wild. That's what people do. It's a culture now. Johnny football, the legend, and all the sharing and stuff. And it's, it's too bad. It's really too bad. I think Johnny Manziel could have had a normal career as a backup if you know, expectations hadn't been dialed up to 11. Um, okay, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about the NBA playoffs. By the way, I got to acknowledge something. I, I realized halfway through I was talking, and I was like, man, I wore a different shirt today. I wore a different shirt for the podcast today. That's awesome. Um, I, I just, you know, I was feeling like the black behind me and the, the dark blue shirt. They looked like the same color, and it's hot in here. And I, I just felt, I was like, ah, screw it. I want to wear a different shirt. And so... Um, on this historic day, <laughs> uh, Zach Schaumler, God, third person, I shouldn't talk that way. Uh, I wore a different shirt, some momentous occasions, celebrate, screenshot, share with your friends, tell everybody about it. Uh, it's awesome. Okay, when I return, we'll talk about the Blazers and the Warriors, um, my impressions of that series, the implications of it. We'll talk about what happened to the 76ers and the Boston Celtics. We'll talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. We'll talk about Kawhi Leonard and the Toronto Raptors. Um, I want to discuss the weird Lakers stories uh, that have come out recently. I want to discuss LeBron a little bit. Um, and really quick, before we go to break, I want to remind everybody, if you are struggling, please go get help. Uh, you may not know, my younger brother, I say this way too flippantly now, I've just done it so many times. Um, this is important to me, it matters, right? This is a message I want to share with the world. Uh, and the show is growing and we're getting a lot of listeners and I just, I want to hit this home, it really matters to me. If you're struggling, please go get help. Go seek help. Uh, you may or may not know my own brother took his life in uh, 2016. It's, uh, it's brutal. And uh, suicide is a huge issue to me. It's, uh, it weighs on my heart. It's something that I, I, I think about every single day. Not, not me personally. I think about my brother and what happened with him every single day. I miss my brother constantly. And uh, what, what really, really um, sticks with me is that my brother never shared his struggles. My brother never told me he was having a hard time. Um, I, I just one day found him dead on the floor. And as far as I know, he never really reached out to anybody. And so I just am telling you, please, if you're struggling, talk to somebody, go get help. Uh, the suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. Um, but more important to me than that, just talk to somebody, anybody in your life. You know, my brother and I played Halo every single Tuesday night, and it would have been I mean, I, I, hope I, I hope I did a good enough job leaving the door open. I wish he just would have said, 
hey man, like instead of Halo tonight, can we talk? I'm having a hard time. And he never did. And uh, it, it, I miss my brother Zane a lot. It makes me really sad. So if you're struggling, please get help. Do not suffer in silence. Uh, it matters a lot to me. Please, if you are struggling, go get help. Talk to somebody. I, I'm begging you. If you're listening, if this impacts it, if anybody out there is struggling, please go talk to somebody. Um, we, we want you here. We want you around. And uh, you are loved. Uh, guys, my name is Zach Schalmer. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, NBA playoffs, a lot of good stuff. It'll be really fun. Be right back. All right, we are back. Um, real quick, I forgot to say this at the beginning of the show. I just kind of, I don't know, I was on Instagram just now, and I realized this. Um, please do me a favor. Help, you know, follow me on Instagram. It'd be a huge help. Um, my Instagram account is at Zach Schaumler, and I'm, I'm trying to get to 10,000 followers because at 10,000 followers, um, I, I can share links to stuff on my Instagram story. And I, I, Instagram stories are my favorite thing in the world. I kind of like daily vlog doing it every single day. And so please do me a, a big favor. If you have an Instagram account and you're listening, please do me a big favor. Um, I, shameless plug. Don't care. I am begging. Uh, please follow me on Instagram. I don't care if you ever like anything I do. I just need the numbers so that I can share links on my Instagram story. It'd be a massive help. I would really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, so cool. Um, now I want to talk about the NBA playoffs. Um, I have just really, really enjoyed this year's NBA playoffs. Uh, a lot has happened. I've been in the middle of spring football, and it's been nice to come home and just watch a game and sit down and take notes and enjoy it. Um, and, and so much has happened in the NBA since I recorded a podcast last. Um, and there are a couple main themes I want to talk about. I have no idea, honestly, how to fit any of these into topics and breakout videos. I, I don't have a, a plan yet. I'm just going to talk about the NBA and share my perspectives. I hope you enjoy it. We're going to talk about the 76ers. We'll talk about the Blazers. We'll talk about the Bucks. Talk about what happened with the, the Celtics and 76ers. I think I already said that a little bit. Um, I, I just am I'm so excited. So I want to start right off the bat. Um, there are two guys I've had a really hard time not comparing. In my head, I keep comparing Giannis and Ben Simmons. It's just almost impossible to me. Um, you know, their size and athleticism stands out immediately. You know, Ben Simmons is six foot ten, plays a point guard position. Giannis is six foot eleven. They're both incredibly athletic. Um, and they're both great scorers inside. But Giannis's edge is that he can also shoot a little bit too. He's not the world's best shooter at all, not by any means. He's way more of an inside scorer. Um, but having a jump shot, literally, like he shoots, I think, 25% from three-point range. It's not great. Like, no, I'm not by any means basing an argument by saying the guy's got a great jump shot. But he has a jump shot. A, like, he can, if he needs to, hit a jump shot. And the fact that he can and Ben Simmons simply cannot is a really, really weird, interesting insight to me. Um, yeah, I, I look at the Bucks, you know, the, the Milwaukee Bucks. They have a really good starting lineup. Uh, without, even without Giannis, like if Giannis is out there, if not out there, you know, they'd have Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez, Nikola, Mir- Nikola Miritich, Miritich, can't even say his name, and George Hill. Not to mention, they, plus they have Ilyasova and then you add Giannis. I mean, they have a really well-rounded, good roster. And even without Giannis, I think they're a roster that could win games and be that would be a good starting five in the NBA. Um, and with Giannis, he's they're deadly. The Bucks are fantastic. He's great in transition. Again, he's not a great shooter, but having Giannis' ability to have a jump shot at all makes spacing a little bit better for the Bucks. It really, you know, Ben Simmons does not 
add anything. He's really an injury to the spacing of the Philadelphia 76ers. And in half-court sets, what Giannis does, because he can shoot a little bit, I've seen him hit threes before, it does force the defense to have to spread out a little more, and it's, it's a really big, helpful factor. Um, now, the bigger thing when I see the Bucks is this. I'm, I'm not going to bank any argument on Giannis' ability to shoot. He's not a great shooter. But it's undeniable that because of his talent scoring at the rim, Giannis demands a ton of attention from the defense. Uh, within three feet, he's nearly unstoppable. And so this is why so many other players on the Milwaukee Bucks roster are having career years, in my opinion. Um, Giannis has improved in the off- between last offseason and this year. And this year, he's just been fantastic. Just, oh my goodness, unbelievable. And because he's so good, defenses have had to shift their focus to Giannis, which in return elevates the play and amount of opportunities for everybody else. Guys like Chris Middleton, Nikola Mirotic, you know, Ilya Silva, Brooke Lopez, Eric Bledsoe, they're getting more shots and better shots because of how much attention Giannis demands the defense to put on him. Um, you know, I, I, I love watching Giannis. I think he's fantastic. I think he's a, if anybody, there's no next LeBron. I really hate that term, but they do like, quite frankly, are similar players and slowly but surely we're seeing Giannis develop a better and better jump shot. And that's something LeBron James did throughout his career. His jump shot got better and better. And it's, I just see a lot of parallels on a lot of similar, a similar career path between Giannis and LeBron James. I do. I just, they, they play similarly. They're both incredible. I think LeBron's a better scorer, but I just, I've really thoroughly enjoyed watching Giannis this year in the playoffs. Now, the biggest surprise of the NBA playoffs to me, uh, you know, LeBron James left the Eastern Conference. And when the Eastern Conference finals came around, both the 76ers and the Boston Celtics were absent. They were not there. Didn't make it. We got bounced in the second round. And, uh, you know, before the season started, I thought for sure at least one of those two teams, because of LeBron James' absence and, and, and leaving the East, going to the Lakers, I thought for sure one of those two teams is going to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And it didn't happen. And the 76ers in particular are just extremely, extremely disappointing. You know, their starting five is, is really fantastic. They have Joel Embiid. Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, J.J. Redick. Stars, man, five of them. I, look, I know that's a reach a little bit. Like, J.J. Redick's not a star, but he's a really good starter in the NBA. And they still got knocked out by the Raptors. Five fantastic starting players. I know not much of a bench, but I, I really thought those five was going to be, they were going to have a lot of success together. And I, I acknowledge it took seven games for the Raptors to knock them out, but the fact that the Raptors did knock them out very disappointing. And it's a, it's a sore spot for them. It's, it's not good. And, and now the 76ers are in a really uncomfortable bind financially. They have five expensive star to borderline star players. Again, I know, you know, using the term star for J.J. Redick is a bit of a reach. He's more of an experienced veteran who you want around. Um, but in this playoff series, Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris really, really did not impress me. I want to talk about Ben Simmons briefly. How in the world, how in the world does this guy not have a jump shot? Three years into his career. Look, I know his first year he was hurt, but how is he in his third season in the NBA? And he still doesn't have a jump shot. The lack of a jump shot is becoming a real issue 
for the Philadelphia 76ers. He's not a threat. He's great in transition. His length at 6.10 helps him on defense. He's a good passer. He's a good scorer inside. He's got a good post game. But legitimately, like, no joke, actually, for real, Ben Simmons does not have a jump shot. In his career, his career, Ben Simmons is 0 for 17 from beyond the arc. Only 17 shots ever, and he's never made a single one. And how? who knows how many of those are just half-court shots he jacked up at the end of a half or end of a quarter. Ben Simmons is holding the Philadelphia 76ers back. In four of the seven games they played against the Raptors, Ben Simmons was the lowest scoring starter on the Sixers roster. Of the five starters, the five guys I mentioned, he scored the least. He had four games with six points, 10 points, 10 points, and a meager seven points. Ugly, awful, not good. I I acknowledge in game five, J.J. Redick only had three points. He was one for six from the field. But I can live with that if that's an occasional thing. And, and by the way, he's not getting paid as much. J.J. Redick was get, is getting paid right now $12.5 million a year. Now he's a free agent, but he's not a max contract guy. And J.J. Redick has never been asking for a max contract. He knows his value. He knows he's a good veteran. He's good at shooting threes. And that's about all he is. But of the 76ers starting five, I, I believe that J.J. Redick might be the third most valuable player on that roster. They got to keep him. He's a free agent now. They got to keep J.J. Redick. I'm going to put in order the 76ers, the five starters, in order from most valuable to least valuable. So the 76ers starting five, I think the number one most valuable player on their roster is Jimmy Butler. Controversial. I know. Maybe, not, maybe you don't agree with it. I don't know. Um, but he's the heart and soul of the team. He plays great defense. He's the most consistent scorer. You look at that Raptors series. He was their most consistent guy up in the 20s, up in double digits, leading the team with his actors, playing great defense. He's got a lot of heart, a lot of soul, and he demands a lot of effort from his teammates. He wants to win, and he elevates the teammates around him. That's why Jimmy Butler did not work in Minnesota. He played with Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, guys who are lazy, guys who don't work hard, guys who are happy to have a paycheck and kind of going through the motions and don't really want to put in the extra work. And they're, frankly, they're soft. Now, the second most valuable player, in my opinion, on the 76ers roster is Joel Embiid. Uh, I think injury concerns are a big part of why he's number two, but he's amazing. I mean, he's a freaky, athletic big man. He's fantastic. Got a ton of heart, got great defense. I love his voice. He's fun to listen to, interesting in interviews. He sells tickets. People love him in Philadelphia. Um, and, and believe it or not, the guy can shoot. He's not a terrible shooter. He makes 48% of his shots. This is the interesting stat. 30% is his shooting percentage from three-point range. I, I've watched it. I've watched every series, every game they've played in the playoffs. Oh, wow. The 76ers have a guy, Joel Embiid, who can actually shoot jump shots. Weird, right? Weird, right? What? A guy who can shoot? Tell someone, tell someone Ben Simmons got to figure it out. Um, now, the third most valuable player on the 76ers roster, in my opinion, is J.J. Redick. He's not the best player, but he's not being paid like the best player ever. ever. His value is good. He's a great value. He's a great three-point shooter, which is necessary in today's NBA. And he knows his worth. He's not asking for a max contract. He's getting paid what he's worth. I think they should resign him. They should bring him back. 
I think J.J. Redick was a, an integral part of the 76er season. Now, the two guys at the bottom, four and five, you could put them in any order you want. I think probably Ben Simmons is a little more valuable than Tobias Harris simply because he sells more tickets. Like, he's a bigger star. People care more about him in Philadelphia. He's also more skilled. He's better in transition. Um, but the fact that Ben Simmons still has not developed a jump shot, it just irks me. To, it just bothers Like, how? How? What are you doing? It, it makes me begin to question Ben Simmons' work ethic. Like, what are you doing, man? I don't understand. Now, Tobias Harris drives me nuts. Like, ben Simmons, for the love of God, please develop a jump shot. Tobias Harris irritates me. He's a solid player. But the rumors are, and everyone's reporting, that Tobias Harris wants a max contract. And that, to me, is ridiculous. It's, it's borderline offensive. Tobias Harris, you're not a max contract player. He's a good player. And, and sadly, somebody is going to give him a max contract. Some other team. The 76ers should not. Somebody will because they're desperate for players and desperate for stars and have a lot of money to spend. But if the 76ers were to offer Tobias Harris a max contract, It'd be a five-year deal worth $188 million. That, that's ridiculous. But Tobias Harris is not at all value, worthy of that. Now, other teams can't offer him as much money. Other teams can only offer him four-year deals. I think like 140 something million. But the, either way, he's not worth that. If you're going to give a player a max contract, here's what that tells me. It means we cannot win Without you, we need you in order to be successful. We can't live without you. And I, I don't think that's Tobias Harris. He's not that kind of player. And when you look at Tobias Harris, he had opportunities to prove himself in the playoffs. What did he do in game seven? He was fine. Game seven against the Raptors, a game they lost. He was five of nine shooting at three free throws, had 15 points. Solid, respectable. But that's not a max player. Kawhi Leonard put up like 39. And I, I understand. It's a different dynamic. There's more scores on the 76ers. The ball can only go so much, go around so much. But he is a, a, a middle-of-the-road, low-level all-star. That's what Tobias Harris is. He's not a guy I'm going to pay $188 million with a five-year contract for. He's a solid player, Tobias Harris is, and a solid player that, sadly, another team is going to give a max contract to. Um, and wildly overpay. Again, I understand. There's only so many points to go around. I know Tobias Harris can't be the leading scorer, and he, you know, he can't put up 30, and Jimmy Butler can't also put up 30, and Ben Simmons can't also put up 30. I understand. But I, I expected more from Tobias Harris, and when they needed him, he really just wasn't... He was very much fine. He's like a, like a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I love peanut butter and jelly. It's great. It's awesome. I'm not paying 30 bucks for PB&J. I can get another sandwich anywhere else. He's just not valuable, as valuable as he wants to be, is the point. I would not pay Tobias Harris the money he wants. I think it's ridiculous he's asking for that. Now, also, the Celtics got knocked out of the second round of the NBA playoffs. And uh, this was really disappointing. I had high hopes for this team. I love their head coach, Brad Stevens. Uh, they got a lot of great up-and-coming young players. I like Terry Rozier, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. It's sad recently that, you know, Terry Rozier has caused problems and done weird stuff in the media. Um, but, you know, if we, you add though, that young core 
I, I know a point guard in Kyrie, they got to play it, but whatever. You add Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, Al Horford, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Man, I was excited. Like, I was like, yes, a good young roster, a good coach. What can go wrong? And they got bounced by the Bucks in five games. A five-game series in the second round. They got four games, four losses in a row, knocked out of the playoffs. Man, I, I don't know what happened. I still like the Celtics' core. I like their young players. Again, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, I would never part ways if I love them. But it seems to me like Kyrie Irving might not be a great fit with the Boston Celtics. I know everyone's saying this, but I, you know, I, I watch the games and I see often moments where Kyler Mer- Ky- Ky- Kyler Mer- Kyrie Irving is pushing back on Brad Stevens, our head coach. And, you know, he's a, I, I love Brad Stevens. I loved him since he was at Butler. I always rooted for Butler uh, in the NCAA tournament. Brad Stevens is really, really fantastic at drawing up creative plays. And in order for him to succeed as a coach, he needs guys who are coachable, who listen to what he says and run the system he has. Kyrie Irving is not a guy who follows the system. He's a ball-dominant guard who is best doing his own thing, scoring on his own, in isolation, creating his own points. And we, again, we saw hiccups where he was really pushing back on Brad Stevens in the playoffs. And it, it just seems like Kyrie Irving lacks some of the people skills necessary and some of the traits he would need to be successful, not only with the, the Boston Celtics, but I don't know that Kyrie Irving has the people skills you would need to lead a franchise deep into the playoffs. Um, he was quoted saying, and this is interesting, you know, I, I get it, right? I, I get maybe where this comes from, but I think this is a misguided standpoint. And an example of Kyrie Irving's lack of people skills is this. Kyrie Irving said this. He said, the young guys don't know what it takes to be a championship level team. And I understand that that might be the right message. He might be right. It might be true. Maybe Jason Tatum doesn't understand how much work he really needs to put in. I get it. Maybe Kyrie is speaking the truth, but you can't say that. And you can't, that's not a good way to win friends, to influence people and to motivate people in the right direction. And I look around the Eastern Conference and I look at guys like, you know, the Giannis elevated the Milwaukee Bucks roster. They made them better. They're in the Eastern Conference Finals. I look at Kawhi Leonard. He elevated a talented Raptors roster. And Kyrie Irving was unable to do that. Kyrie Irving was unable to elevate a talented Boston Celtics roster. And, you know, I think he's a great individual scorer. He's fantastic. I don't think Kyrie Irving's temperament is best suited to be a number one playmaker on a team. I think he's better suited to be a number two. He's better as Robin than Batman. I don't think he's got the makeup to be a Batman. He was great in the number two role with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And what he did was he gave them a bucket when they needed one. We saw that in the finals when the Cavaliers were desperate for points. Perfect time for Kyrie to use his skills, to use his ability as an individual scorer to create points, to go to the rim, get points. That's why the Cleveland Cavaliers won a championship. But I really think Kyrie's best suited to play second fiddle. Be, be second fiddle to a guy like Kevin Durant in New York. Or maybe he goes back, he goes to LA and plays with LeBron again. The point is this. We've seen Kyrie Irving lead a team multiple times. It hasn't worked with the Celtics. Not, not on a giant scale. They get to the playoffs. 
great. You also have a great roster and a great coach. No crap, you get to the playoffs. And we saw before when LeBron, before LeBron James came back to the Cavaliers, when Kyrie Irving was the only player on the Cavs, the only star player on the Cavs, we saw how that worked out. And we've seen many examples now where Kyrie Irving as a number one does not work if you want to win a championship. He's better suited as a Robin than Batman. He's better suited as number two, again, to a guy like LeBron or Kevin Durant. And that's the move I want to see Kevin, Kyrie Irving do next. Go to another team with another star, accept a role. You're an introvert. You don't have great people skills. Accept a role as a number two. Follow the lead, play your role well, and let's make it happen. I think he's got so much talent, and it's going to waste if he keeps doing what he's doing, trying to go to a, a team and lead them. I, I just don't think that's who he is. I know it's harsh, but I also think it's true. I don't think he has the temperament, the makeup, or the skill set to elevate the people around him and to lead a team deep into the playoffs. He cannot win a championship by himself. That's, that's my opinion of Kyrie Irving. I think he needs help from another high-profile star player in the NBA. Okay, another big question to me when I, I've been watching the NBA playoffs, and a big question I've just been asking myself, why does nobody talk about Kawhi Leonard in the conversation for best player in the world? We hear Kevin Durant, we hear Steph Curry, we hear LeBron James often, we hear James Harden sometimes. Kevin Durant's an incredible scorer, and James Harden is an incredible scorer, and Steph Curry is an incredible shooter, and LeBron James, I think, still belongs in the conversation. But let's focus on Kawhi Leonard. Why does nobody pay attention to him? Why does nobody bring his name up? I watched Kawhi Leonard, and as an individual player, I think he might be the best like all-around player in the NBA. No one can do what he can do. It's unbelievable. He can shoot threes at an incredibly high level. He's a tank. I watched a play against the 76ers where Ka- Kawhi Leonard runs into Ben Simmons and just bounces off him like nothing happened and continues to shoot a layup and a score. He's a tank. He can shoot threes. He's a great passer. Kawhi Leonard has lockdown defense. He's incredible on defense. He's got incredible effort, ability, skill. It's all fantastic. And I don't know. I, I, I just... I don't know that Kawhi Leonard makes everybody on the roster around him better, but as an individual, he might be the most all-around skilled player in the NBA. And it's just weird to me that nobody really talks about Kawhi Leonard. I don't, I'm not saying he is the best player in the world, but he belongs in the conversation. And I feel like maybe I don't pay attention enough. I don't know. I'm, amongst my friends and amongst the people I know, at least in my college and people I talk to, I feel like Kawhi Leonard's name doesn't come up enough and he doesn't get the respect he really deserves because he's a fantastic, fantastic, and maybe he gets lost in Canada. I don't know. But he's a, he's a really special player. And I, and I got to say, I've been really enjoying this Bucks raptors series. I'm a nerd. I, I watch every game. I just, I love basketball. I love, like, playoff basketball to me. Oh, it's like a, my, my dad's a big foodie. My dad loves, like, a good plate of food. For me, like, I love a good competitive playoff game that's that's what i i love and this series between the bucks and the raptors has been so fun it's been tense it's been fun they're tied two to two right now they play tonight i recommend watching the bucks raptors series i'm gonna watch the rest of it with my friends back home in vancouver when i i move home uh tomorrow and i I just oh i can't recommend it enough it is so so good now um the blazers warrior series drove me nuts just absolutely drove me nuts the blazers got swept 
And uh, man, they just blew it. Lead after lead, they just they blew the series. It was frustrating. We got swept in four games. And I was, I was DMing a buddy of mine on Instagram, and uh, he calls Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum hot and cold because of how you know, spotty they are. That one moment they're good, one moment they're not. They can never seem to get hot together at the same time. And, uh, you know, the Blazers, in games two and three in particular in that Golden State Warriors series, they had huge leads at halftime. It was there. They were playing great defense. They were limiting Steph Curry and Clay. Really, you know, the only way the Warriors were scoring early in those games were their role players were getting layups. It's like great defense. It's working really well. And they just repeatedly were unable. The Blazers repeatedly were unable to finish in that series against the Warriors. Yes, I acknowledge the Warriors are incredible. They're fantastic. But just don't forget, everyone's going to be complaining for years from now how dominant the Warriors were. And you got to recognize the Blazers had opportunities and they blew it. They had moments. They had big leads. They had, they were playing great defense. They were shooting well and then they would just wilt in the end. And as dominant as the Warriors are, you got to also acknowledge the Blazers really kind of, man, they, they, they did not represent themselves very well. And they really blew it often in that series. Um, I, I just, I don't know. It, it seriously, it drove me nuts. That, that series, I wasn't rooting for the Blazers necessarily. Like I put on my Instagram story, I was. But I wanted competition. I wanted it to be close. And games two and three were fun. And then the Blazers blew it. And it was like, man, like once you're down three to nothing, it's, of course it's over. I don't care after that. Um, and it just, oh, that Blazers series was so frustrating to watch. I want to end with the LA Lakers. Magic Johnson came out and spoke about his experience with the Lakers. If you don't, if you don't, if you're not aware, Magic Johnson is the former president of basketball operations for the Lakers. He's also an NBA Hall of Famer. He's a fantastic player. Played for the Lakers for years. Won championships with them. Um, he was asked. He stepped down recently. It was a mutual, you know, mutual par- them parting ways. The Lakers and Magic Johnson. And he went on a show recently. I think he was talking with Sh- Steve. One of the, uh, Stephen A. Smith, and uh, he talked about the mixed signals he got about his role within the Lakers organization, and he talked about the weird inconsistencies with the expectations that were set for him again within the Lakers organization. And, and first and foremost, Magic Johnson is a businessman. He owns a ton of businesses. He's got a lot of responsibility operating all of the companies he runs, and got a lot of money up in the air. It seems to me. And when he joined the Lakers as the president of basketball operations, uh, they apparently, according to him, told him that it would be okay for him to split his attention between the Lakers and all his businesses on the side. So he had, he had two things. He had the Lakers job, and he had his other job, his other source of income, which made way more money running his businesses. He's an entrepreneur. And as time went on with the Lakers, he says that apparently the Lakers began to change their mind and changed their tone, um, they weren't okay with him splitting time. They wanted him in the office more. He kept getting you know, a lot of feedback that they were unhappy with him not being there and not showing up. And they didn't like the fact that he was half in and half out. He also complained that the Lakers began to make decisions without him. When he wasn't in the office and wasn't around, they would have meetings without him and make decisions without him. And <sighs> all, all of this is so silly to me. It's so... I don't know. First of all, personally, I, I think that, you know, whoever decided this was going to work, was a, it was a horrible idea. 
Magic Johnson is going to split time and not be here all the time, but he won't be bothered if we meet without him. All of this is a mess, and it's, it's a horrible, horrible leadership structure. Now, now, I really think that Magic Johnson was brought in for two things. The reason why the Lakers brought in Magic Johnson to be their president was they wanted two things from him. They wanted him to bring them LeBron. They said, get us LeBron. Hey, guess what? He did it. Well done. That, that kept his job for a while longer. And then they said, we want you to, the second thing we want, we want you to get a star to go along with LeBron. And then last offseason, he was unable to land Paul George. That, that hurt. That was a big stain on the Lakers organization. In fact, you know, Paul George is from LA. The fact they weren't able to get Paul George, ooh, hurt. And then they were unable to trade for Anthony Davis this season. And at that point, I, I really would imagine the Lakers were basically thinking, yeah, we're, we're done with Magic Johnson. They were over it. Tired of working with him. But, but again, that idea that you can run your business and be the president of the Lakers, it's a terrible idea from the start. I, I, I play college football. That's what I do. Um, I, I have two things, giant things on my plate. I play college football, and I'm Zach Schaumler, the podcast host who does Strong Opinion Sports. It's what I love to. It's really, really fun. Business and sports. And, and they're, they're both very, very attention-demanding. And we just had spring football, which meant I took a month off from the show. We had about a month of practices every, uh, every other day throughout the week. Uh, I play college football. And I did not make any podcasts during those times. I know we had, we, like, it's Tuesday. We have practice on Wednesday. I'm not making a podcast today or anytime this week because my attention needs to be focused on watching film, getting ready for practice, doing the things I need to do to be a successful quarterback and play football. And you can't split your attention. If I tried to do both, I would fail miserably at both. I'd make terrible podcasts that were not prepared, and I would not be ready on the practice field. I would not have watched film. I would not know the installs going in that day. I wouldn't know what plays were running that day. It'd be a mess. You can't effectively do both things. And I feel the same about Magic Johnson. The fact that it was ever agreed for him to split time doing both seems like a tremendously bad idea. Or it might be this. Or this is what happened. Maybe here's the truth. Maybe the reason why the Lakers were okay with Magic Johnson splitting time between the Lakers and his businesses were because he was really more of a figurehead or a represent, representative, right? Not a, he was a representation of the Lakers and a figurehead more than a decision maker. Is that possible? It might be. Which makes it more likely that, you know, it makes it more weird that he came forward and complained about people undermining him. Either he had no idea he was just a figurehead or they never communicated he was a figurehead. The point is this, the, the, the leadership structure in the Lakers is so messy and weird because you have the Lakers general manager, Rob Palenka, really, you know, apparently seizing control while Magic wasn't there. And then Magic is all bothered that this didn't happen. And Magic is being very silly and hypocritical. And, you know, this half in, half out all the time, I just don't understand. And I don't like the way things are run with the Lakers. It's a mess. It's not good. Whoever had this idea that it was going to work was a terrible idea. And either they lack leadership and, and just are a total mess, or they weren't honest with Magic about what his role was. His role was to be a spokesperson, not actually make decisions. Either way, it's not good. It's very concerning. And the Lakers just look like an unraveling mess. I know that's very popular to say in the media, like, you know, oh, the Lakers are a mess. And people over, you know, they over overflate things and make things sound way worse. And, you know, they're, they're very, uh, people love to have hot takes and make things way out to be way more than they are. But the more I learned and read about this Magic Johnson story, the more I just got confused and it was weird 
And it was like, there's not a very clear, like, this is you, you're this person's boss, you're this person's boss, you're this person's boss. It seems like the people at the bottom are messing with the people at the top, and there's just not a clear power structure. And that just does not work in any business. If it's not clear who your leader is, who the person guiding the ship is, it's not going to work. If, if my head coach is undermining everything my offensive coordinator tells me, sorry, a better example is if my, if my quarterback coach keeps telling me things that do not go along with and conflate the things that my head coach tells me. It's very confusing. It's just not, there's no cohesion there. And that's how the Lakers appear to be right now. It's a mess. It's ugly. It's a lack of cohesion. And I, I really think whoever had the idea to let Magic do both things at once, it just shouldn't have happened. They should not have hired Magic Johnson if that was the agreement because that agreement simply was never going to work. Okay, uh, one more thing. One final thing. People keep telling me that LeBron James is slowing down. They say that his play is declining. And I look at his stats from the last season. In the last season, LeBron James averaged 27 points per game, 8 rebounds, and 8 assists. Uh, it was actually 27.4 points per game, 8.5 rebounds, and 8.3 assists. And uh, for context, this was LeBron's 16th year in the league. The guy is 34 years old. Now, for context, Kawhi Leonard, who's 26, 20, sorry, 27, playing in his eighth season in the NBA, averaged 26 points per game, one fewer, or two fewer, one fewer, seven rebounds and three assists. So Kawhi Leonard's stats all across the board were lower than LeBron James. Kevin Durant, who again has better players around, I'm sure hurt his numbers a little bit, but Kevin Durant averaging 25 points per game, six rebounds and 5.9 assists. He's 30. This is his 12th season. And even if you compare LeBron James to himself, he's averaging 0.01 points per game less than last season. Last year, he had 27.5 points per game. This year, he has 27.4 points per game. And in the last, se- last five seasons, the last two years, he's averaged more points per game than any other time. My point is this. His rebounds have gone down from 8.6 to, whoa, 8.5. And his assists have gone down from 9.1 to 8.3. And the, the massive decline in numbers people keep talking about just isn't, isn't true. It's just not. It's ridiculous. His, his numbers are not dropping off. Yes, he got hurt. And that's not good. It's not encouraging. That sucks. But LeBron James is not declining as drastically as everyone makes it out to seem when you look at his numbers. Look at his statistics and his, his averages between you know, the last 10 years. He's actually trending up. The decline is ridiculous. He got hurt. But statistically, LeBron James is as good as he's ever been and in some ways better. And this massive decline of LeBron James is completely overstated and very ridiculous. Um, and I just, I just want to end that on that. I just think it's very weird how much people talk about LeBron James is done, it's over. The dude's coming back. And people care about LeBron James. I saw a story today. Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, was talking about how not having LeBron in the Eastern Conference has absolutely 100% hurt their ratings in the Eastern Conference playoffs, uh, Eastern Conference finals in, in general. Um, and it's uh, LeBron James is very much still able to play. He's very much still interesting in the NBA. He can, I think, carry a team. I think he's in conversation as the best player in the world. And we are massively overstating this idea that he's not any good and that he's declining. It's just, it's just very silly and very much um, a, a, an overstated fact. Now, uh, that's all I have for today, guys. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, the next episode will not be until next week. I'm moving tomorrow. 
Um, it's going to be a quite hectic weekend. I'm moving a bunch. This whole room has to be emptied out by tomorrow. Um, uh, please bear with me. I'm working on a Dak Prescott film breakdown. I'm very, very excited. Uh, we'll have a topic next week about the New York Jets. I saw some stories today about like the numbers say that, you know, statistics show Adam Gase is the wrong head coach for the New York Jets. And I just, oh, God, people are so stupid. These NBA, these NFL writers have literally no idea about the game. They just look at some numbers and figure they can use numbers to build an argument. So I'm going to talk about that story next week uh, and just debunk it because it's like people are just stupid and they don't know football, but they write about it to get clicks anyways. And it just irritates me to no end. So guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. My name is Zach Schaumler. Again, please uh, follow me on Instagram. I'm trying to get to 10,000 followers. It'd be very appreciated and helpful to me. Uh, if I get to 10,000 followers, I don't care if you ever like anything I post, you can literally just follow me and then ignore me forever. But if I have 10,000 followers, I can share links on my Instagram story. And I'm very active on my Instagram story. I love it tremendously. So please, if you're listening, do me a massive favor. I'm at Zach Schaumler, Z-A-C. S-H-O-M-L-E-R on Instagram, at Zach Schaumler. Follow me on Instagram. Help me get to 10,000 followers on Instagram. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so much. Bum, bum, bam, we are done. I just want to say thank you so very much for watching. I really, really appreciate it. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is my podcast, Strong Opinion Sports, and it is my favorite thing in the entire world. I love it. Uh, in fact, my dream is to someday do Strong Opinion Sports as my full-time job. If you believe in me, if you believe in that dream, please help me grow by telling your friends about the show. Share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter. Maybe you put a screenshot it, maybe you put it on Instagram. Uh, it does me a huge help if you can tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. Another way you can help me if you want, no pressure, I have a PayPal, paypal.me forward slash Zach Schaumler. I also have a Patreon account, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. It does me a huge help if you want to. Um, and uh, really, if you have no money to give, no problem, please. The, the number one thing, if you want to help Strong Opinion Sports, the number one thing you can do is help me grow by telling your friends about this podcast. Bye.